0: From a sold-out, jacked-up Sam Boyd Stadium in Las Vegas, week one of the XFL, the New York-New Jersey hitmen and the Las Vegas outlaws. It is perhaps the most eagerly anticipated inauguration that the sports world has seen in quite a while, the creation of a brand-new style football league, the XFL. Matt Vaskirjian, Jesse Ventura, and Jesse is excited as fans have been for this day to come. The guys really excited for this are those guys out on the field. Absolutely, Matt. It's the players, and let me talk about the players for a moment and the sacrifices they have had to make to play the game that they love. Many of them left jobs. They left loved ones, and they put it all on the line because practice started in November. They got paid not one nickel to go through these practices to arrive here tonight. put it all on the line now tonight they will get paid but the thing i love about the xfl is the heart and soul that these players show for the love of the game of playing football and the opportunity of continuing to play the game they love here in the xfl it's a night of firsts in las vegas and to help us kick off this historic night let's go down to the field with mike adamley Ladies and gentlemen, he is the personification of the XFL. He is the league's director of competition. He is Hall of Famer Dick Butkus. You know, in the past, all football games get started with a coin toss no way jose here we are in the xfl we're going to compete for the right to choose who possesses the ball at the start of the game two players one ball whoever possesses the ball gets his choice not only for the start of the game but also for overtime should that be necessary good luck guys and once again to win the scramble, you must have full Representing the New York, New Jersey hitmen. Number 21, safety, Donnie Caldwell. For the Las Vegas Outlaws. Number 28, safety, Jamel Williams. Let's go to head referee, Randy. Once again, once again, guys, it's going to be ready, set, and a whistle. Don't jump and go for the ball, not each other. Ready, set. couple of safeties going to scramble for the right to possession. The hometown hero is on it, but the ball's still alive. Jamel Williams jumps on it. And the hometown guys have light to kick or receive. We haven't even started yet, body, and the place is already going nuts. Welcome to Good Seats, Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon.
1: Oh my God, let's get this show on the road, shall we? How are you, everybody? My name is Tim Hanlon, indeed, and uh, it is Good Seats, Still Available, that curious little podcast, not so little anymore, actually, devoted to... What used to be in professional sports, we are finally delving into our initial conversations around the XFL and some synergies here. Some uh, some balance, some uh, closing of circles, shall we say, because we're dropping this episode uh, early in the uh, the wee hours of uh, of February 3rd, uh, 2019, which just so happens to be 18 years to the date of when you heard that clip of the inaugural XFL game between the New York, New Jersey Hitmen and the Las Vegas outlaws on NBC television. Yes, that's what you heard uh, way back when 18 years ago today. And uh, it's also 19 years to the date uh, when the, uh, uh, the league, the XFL, Vince McMahon announced that the league was going to be uh, forming and, uh, and under uh, uh, under wraps uh, to be launched. Uh, a year afterwards. And uh, it would not surprise me, frankly, that uh, that in 2020, uh, just uh, literally one year away from today, that on uh, February 3rd, uh, 2020, uh, would be the uh, potential relaunch date of the uh, previously announced XFL. Yes, it's coming back, as you probably well know. We'll see in what form. Uh, And as we get through our conversation with today's special guest, Brett Forrest, Uh, We'll sort of get some sense of what that first original league was, that joint venture between the WWF at the time. Now, the WWE, Vince McMahon and NBC Sports, uh, then helmed by uh, one Dick Ebersole and um, some very interesting uh, stories from Brett, who wrote the book literally and figuratively on the XFL. Uh, It is a book that is out of print. It's called Long Bomb uh the how the xfl became tv's biggest fiasco uh, it was published in 2002 by crown uh it is out of print um and it is a hot commodity uh on all the online book sources amazon and uh, and others uh used copies are going for 100 200 dollars a piece and uh brand new copies for those that exist uh and you hear that brett's got a couple of uh, of him uh, of those uh, those copies uh Uh, In his office somewhere, uh, are going for four or five hundred dollars a piece. I'm not going to tip off the the rest of the conversation, but uh, you'd think, from a marketing perspective, uh, that uh, the opportunity to reissue that book and maybe reframe it with some uh, some updating and uh, maybe as a as a a scene setter for what the uh, next version XFL 2.0, if you will starting next year might look like, uh, the opportunity uh, would be. But uh, if you uh, if you have a copy of that book, it is quite valuable. If you uh, want a copy of the book, you can, of course, go to GoodSeatStillAvailable.com, our, our little website here, search up episode number 98. Uh, and you'll find a link probably to the least expensive versions of that via Amazon and mostly from the reselling community. Uh, but it is well worth finding. It is a, it's a very fun uh, uh, uh trapeze, I guess, trapezing through uh, the one and only year of the XFL. Some great stories in there, uh, in particular, as you'll hear in our conversation with Brett coming up, uh, walking through some of the day-to-day with uh, one of those franchises. it so was a microcosm of that league, the Las Vegas Outlaws. And uh, obviously a very colorful team, uh, didn't uh, make the playoffs, but uh, certainly had some of the uh, more interesting stories uh of the XFL uh in Las Vegas. Uh Rod Smart being one of them. He hate me. Uh, the uh, uh the uh, moniker that uh that Mr. Smart put on the back of his uh, jersey and uh, became almost an instant phenomenon uh with sports fans everywhere and uh you know went on to a, a Super Bowl and uh, some other uh, great NFL exploits. As did by the way a lot of uh, uh his teammates wound up going on to uh, other uh, exploits in professional football some in the Arena League. Uh, Certainly some in the NFL, the CFL, et cetera, as did a whole bunch of those players in the XFL. And you'll hear from Brett uh, in our conversation. A lot of these guys were uh, simply just looking for another shot. But uh, amidst uh, what, of course, became quite the circus uh, on television, in the stadiums uh, and just overall. And uh, we all sort of know what sort of happened during the course of that league. But uh, if you weren't around for it or you vaguely remember it, uh, allow us to uh, have this conversation with Brett, with you. Uh, to kind of sort of scene set uh, the uh, craziness that uh, that transpired with the XFL and and I and clearly there will be other stories to come uh, in our journeys together. But uh, we wanted to sort of finally uh, kick off uh, our conversation around this league, the intrigue around it, and I suspect it will be more intrigue around its past and uh, maybe uh, we think present uh, and hopefully future next year uh, as it launches anew uh in 2020. Uh and uh, that is the conversation this week. Uh and uh we welcome you to it and um let us uh get a little promotional thing out of the way first and we'll get right into it, shall we? Okay. Uh we want to highlight this week's sponsor uh 503 sports. Uh, 503-sports.com, the king of throwbacks. Uh and uh, a particularly uh, excellent sponsor uh for this week's episode. Uh, because at uh, 503 sports that's 503-sports.com uh you will find uh and i think perhaps the only place really online you're going to find this stuff is uh original uh and high quality XFL uh, uh shirts and caps and uh uh you know and uh even some jerseys in there uh from 503 sports again that's 503-sports.com and you go to the website. I'm just kind of scrolling at it now. I mean, there's obviously T-shirts, you know, from from all the teams. And we're talking all the eight teams of the XFL. Um, uh, and you'll find uh, T-shirts with the great logos and stuff. You'll find caps with the logos on it. Uh, and, yes, your Orlando Rage fans, your San, San Francisco Demons fans, uh, they're all there for you. Chicago Enforcers proudly represented. Of course, the Outlaws. Uh, of course, the L.A. Extreme, the ultimate champion of the league, et cetera. All the others are, are there. But in addition to the T-shirts and the caps, you're also going to find, and this is something that 503 Sports does extremely well and uniquely, are originally created and lovingly uh, so jerseys that are uh, uh, recreated in small batches. There's only a handful of them uh, made, uh, but they are customizable uh, for uh, a few of those teams, the San Francisco Demons. Jersey is there for you to uh, purchase. A Las Vegas Outlaws jersey uh, is on the uh, is on the docket. You'll find the jersey for the New York New Jersey Hitmen, uh, as well as for the Chicago Enforcers. Uh, there's a Memphis Maniacs, yes, with an X uh, jersey there as well. Um, and uh, I don't think there are other jerseys for the other remaining teams, but uh, there are certainly, like I said, shirts. Uh, some sweatshirts in there, some caps. And I suspect that our friends at 503 Sports will indeed uh, be uh, on the march towards uh, recreating jerseys for those other teams, as well as some other uh, some other things for you to wear uh, from the old and original version of the XFL. So I think it's the only place online you're going to find these. And again, that's 503 Sports. That's 503-sports.com. And make sure, of course, when you're there and you find one of those things that you want to remember, the uh, the XFL, make sure you use that promo code SEATS for 10% off all of your purchases uh, when you go to 503 Sports. Again, 503-Sports.com. The promo code you want to use is SEATS. You want to get 10% off all of your XFL uh, uh, garb and uh, and wear. And by the way, they have other other tons of other things there at 503 Sports. But uh, if you're interested in this week's episode and all the teams and the memories – Uh, This is the place to go for all uh, of your XFL uh, needs. Uh, Again, 503 Sports. That's 503-Sports.com. And make sure you use the promo code SEATS for 10% off all of your purchases. Thank you, 503 Sports. And thank you for sticking around for our very fun and interesting conversation with Brett Forrest. He, the author of Long Bomb, and we're going to get into XFL. Here it is, our conversation just last week. First of all, you know I think your book uh, about the original XFL, right, is the uh, the seminal work. There hasn't been a whole lot written about it, and um, uh, frankly, it was probably the best narrative that I that I have seen to date, perhaps aside from uh, the thirty for thirty documentary that uh, Charlie Ebersol and friends uh, did a few years back, right? But that's uh, you know in, in a video form. Um, maybe you can give our audience a bit of a background as to um, your professional career. And then maybe sort of uh, what seems like, and I think we'll get to it in a few minutes, uh, maybe a little bit of a long and winding road to this story. Yeah,
2: yeah, sure. Jeez, uh, this is going back a few years. This is like uh, 18 years now. It's hard to believe that that's how long ago this, this, uh, this thing was, uh, the XFL, that is. Um, but, um, boy, my, my interest in it really, let me think. So at that time, I was um, a freelance magazine writer living in New York and um just doing doing whatever i could to, to scrape together a few pennies here and there whoever was hiring um, uh, you know I, I, whatever they wanted me to write about i was doing uh, i was a younger guy just trying to establish myself in that world and there was this magazine that um that had uh just recently been established by this guy bob Guccione jr the famous name of course we know his dad was the founder of penthouse but he himself uh the son was also in the magazine business. He had started Spin Magazine. And anyhow, he had recently um, launched uh, Gear Magazine, which was uh, sort of a men's magazine, like a, a lad magazine, if you will. And uh, so I I'd, uh, I'd linked up with them and had done a couple of things. And they said, um, you know, we, we talked about this, uh, this idea for uh, a story on the XFL, which, boy, I mean, we go back to those years, the WWF, I think was called at the time, was at its absolute peak. It had you know, it it made Vince McMahon a billionaire. He was he couldn't be more confident about uh his business acumen uh and his his vision and uh and he was just this incredible um uh, marketer and and publicity hound and and people just were listening to everything he had to say. And so he was publicizing this, uh, this new league, the XFL, along with NBC, which was a 50% partner. And so it came to my notice as it did to everyone else's. And, and so I was talking about this with my editors magazine, um, and, uh, and they said, well, why don't you, why don't you go out, uh, and, and see what you can figure out. So this was before the league began and they were already in training camp with the players. And I said, you know what, there's a team in Vegas. I want to go check out that team because this sounds like the perfect place for this crazy idea. And uh, so I flew out there, and uh, one of the first people I met was Dick Butkus. Um, You know, the, the, the face of pro football, if you will. Yeah, not a, no, not, I a
1: bad, met not a bad place to start, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So Butkus had kind of, like, linked up with these guys, some set, like, semi-formal, informal sort of advisory role to the league, okay, and, and I thought well, well, heck, if, if Buckus is signing up, up to this thing then I mean it, it must have something to it, right? So I, I met him there at a practice for the the Vegas team, the, the Las Vegas Outlaws and he was there with his son Matt who had played at USC and was a big offensive lineman type guy and uh, Matt, Matt and I were about the same age and so we, we kind of hit it off and became friends and you know, I was talking to Dick Budkis about this whole thing. And anyway, the experience there was, was opening. and on the way on the plane back to New York, I thought, Hmm, this thing might, it, it could make for an interesting book because I hadn't written a book yet and I was eager to try. And, uh, and I just, well, you know, I filed the magazine article that all, that all went okay. Um, and then, uh, just as the league was beginning, that's when I started thinking seriously about, Okay could this thing support a, a, a the telling like a narrative at uh like a longer narrative. And um, anyway, so that's sort of the germ of the idea. All
1: right. So before we get into uh the uh the end of that beginning part of the story uh which we'll talk about in a second. Uh and uh, I think you know where I'm going to go with that. Uh the uh uh-huh. what what was the what was your conclusion or your uh your observation of this, uh, I'm guessing this was around the year 2000, right? Which is the year before the league started in uh, 2001. What was your, sort of what was the thesis and or the, the vibe that you got and the sense that you were getting about this league uh, as it was uh, still, I guess, in its uh, formative uh, pre-launch yeah. months?
2: Yeah. Well, it, it really a mixed bag, you know? Um, so many different, the league, the league made made you think so many different things before it started. That is, um, and uh, I'll just throw a bunch of them out there. It made me think, um, you know, boy, Vince McMahon. Like I'm not a, I'm not a huge pro wrestling guy. I'm not against it, of course. Like uh, growing up, uh, I was uh, exposed to it and knew all the characters and 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 I thought it was kind of funny, but I wasn't like a big fanatic of. It. So I wasn't a big Vince McMahon fan. Uh, I wasn't against him. I was open. I was, my mind was open. Um, but you know, here's this, here's this guy who is known for staging, uh, like a sporting event, right. wrestle, uh, where the outcome is, is known beforehand and now he's going to do something that's a real bona fide competition. Well, that, that's a big question mark. How's that going to come out? How's it going to come across? Um, so that, that was, that was one of the main questions that I had. And I think most people, had. um, how's Mitch how McMahon going to run a real sports league? Um, and from the NBC side though, you know, it, it really, the idea made a lot of sense to me and I'll tell you why, because, um, ever since ABC created Monday night football for the NFL, remember this is not an NFL creation, this is a TV creation, Monday night football the, uh, the value of the, uh, the, uh, contract to broadcast the rights for the NFL skyrocket. And it got to the point, uh, by the time the XFL rolled around that it was a guaranteed losing proposition for all the networks, meaning they knew going into negotiations or bidding for NFL rights, that if they won the rights that over the course of the contract, they were going to, they were going to just take a bath. They were going to lose tons and tons of money on it. And, uh, but all these, all these networks and network, network, network executives decided that this was, uh, just something that they had to do because the NFL gave them an incredible billboard for all their other programming. And that's why, you know, you watch these NFL games and it's just, you're constantly bombarded with, Oh, next Tuesday. And you get the, the sitcom that's coming up on the network next Tuesday. So, uh um, networks felt like we got to pay this price in order to stay in the game for, for the the attention of the viewer. Um, but Dick Ebersol, who was the head of NBC sports at the time, he, he got fed up with that arrangement. And, uh, and he said, you know what? NBC is not going to, uh, even put our hat in the ring for the next, uh, uh opportunity to, to, to bid for these rights. And instead we're going to have our own league. And he and, um, you know he and vince had gone back many years uh when he was when dick was with n b c earlier in his career he he put pro wrestling on n b c which was a big milestone for pro wrestling uh so uh for n b c like to my mind he was it was an interesting gamble for them to take and it made some fiscal sense um so that's like from the from the business point of view so you know these were the XFL, uh was an interesting theoretical idea and i felt like it was it was worth paying attention to it
1: yeah that's interesting so uh my uh, a lot of my professional career has been in the uh, the uh, advertising and, and media buying uh, space various ad agencies and holding companies and the like in the early part of uh, the 2000s uh, i vividly remember um a uh, number of uh, TV ad sales folks from uh, the XFL and NBC. And and it's also important to remember sort of as a, I don't know if it's a, an asterisk, right? But uh, TNN, the Nashville Network, as it was called back then, as well as UPN, which are the two uh, new startup uh, uh, TV networks, along with uh, the WB, uh, which then became the CW uh, down the road. Um, these were all f- uh, all networks that were part of uh, of the mixture that was going to be sort of in this promotional vein of this a team league and you know, I think in the hallways of the ad agency in the media buying shop uh, that I was at uh, the you know, it was kind of it It, it certainly garnered attention. Right. Uh, you could yeah. not ignore, you know, despite your feelings about professional wrestling, the audacity and the uh, the just high visibility of what this thing was going to be. But I and maybe tell me if you agree. I think the question was, OK, you got our attention. What is this? going to be. Yeah, now. that
2: that's exactly what it was. Yeah, I mean, it was just Vince McMahon's incredible ability to attract attention. Um especially back then. You know, this was if you remember it was also a heady time on the stock market as I mentioned earlier, his success with uh, with pro wrestling had made him a billionaire. Um, that that was sort of a tech bubble at the time, if I'm remembering correctly, cause it was a few years ago now. Um and and uh you know the XFL in some ways. I don't want to overplay this, but in some ways, is emblematic of that period. Um, and and then when the XSL ultimately failed, not to you know spoil this for anybody, but uh, it, it, uh, the the economy also at, at the at similar in a similar time frame sort of it took a bit of the tips. So, um, but yes, you're right that um, people were were drawn to it as a curiosity. And they also felt like, look, if, if these two parties, which are, you have, you have one party, which is, has always been sort of on the, the outside of, of uh, respectability, if you will, the, the pro wrestling, but he's now this incredibly powerful economic juggernaut. And then you have this, this sort of uh, respected uh, legacy media company. And and these two parties are partnering up, and, and they both think this is a good idea. Well, um, yeah, boy, what is this thing?
1: Yeah, and you talk talking about economics a second, and I'm going to get back to sort of the, the, the journey on the book. Um, yeah, I mean, I think NBC at the time also was, because of the the loss of all those NFL rights, and, and certainly something that we see even today, right, how powerful the NFL is to uh, the success of broadcast television, arguably even propping it up. Uh, amongst the uh, media uh, aficionados and uh, and practitioners such as myself but um, the idea uh NBC seemed to be exploring quite a bit around was sort of these um, I guess different approaches to economics right sort of the some yeah. some ancillary or or alternative I guess approaches to uh, I guess the deficit spending uh, proposition of buying rights not unlike say the Olympics which they've already had locked up but you know, uh, th- th- it fools Aaron if they're going to keep paying more and more and more, and and hoping that they're going to recoup and then some uh, on these k- kind of marquee properties. So you you have to give them Ebersol and friends some points here uh, on the board for you know at least trying to experiment with some different models, some ownership, uh, you know, uh, you know, originating the content, if you will, uh, and frankly de-risking, I guess, uh, what looked to be at the time and certainly proven out uh, a a crazily expensive a sports rights landscape.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it it makes sense for, uh, for a broadcaster to balk at continuing to pay these rising prices. Um, but the problem with the excess and of course we can get this later is that, uh, uh, you know, that shouldn't lead you into making a rash decision. um, so I think that while the, uh, the NBC's motivation, its base motivation, uh, was uh, was a positive one, or a worthy one, uh, I'm not sure that the, the execution of the uh, the ultimate idea and the idea being to get out of this crazy relationship with the NFL and into something that makes more financial sense, I, I don't think that execution was worth uh, up there.
1: Yeah, let me close the loop on this on this prelude because because uh, I, I, there's so many other nooks and crannies here that I want to get to. So two areas that we've kind of explored uh, in our silly little show over the last year and a half or so is uh, one is that football, right? For uniquely and perhaps um, most prominently, versus most of the uh, all the other sort of professional sports uh, in the United States, North America, has seemingly uh, led the pack in terms of attracting challengers to. Uh, the NFL and its supremacy um, of that professional football game, uh, borne out by another league that's going to start in a couple of weeks from when we record this show, the Alliance of American Football. And, of course, we'll talk about this probably near the end, a reboot, hopefully probably not the same sort of uh, environment, of the XFL itself. Um, So what is it, do you think, of football uh, that sort of attracts this? And then the other sort of question, I guess, as part of a prelude uh, to finish this little theme out uh, is also another area we explore, which is sort of the single entity concept, right? Instead of sort of selling franchises and all that, uh, kind of controlling the dynamics from the uh, from the outset, managing sp- expenses and that kind of stuff, and and hopefully keeping ownership uh, in line. Of course, not not much ownership to keep in line. You got two major partners here in this one.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, why football? Well, uh, well, a couple a couple reasons. One is just, uh, it's, it's a financial thing. football pro football. The NFL is just so darn successful and, uh, and it's so popular. Um, and Hey, this is the United States of America and, and it's a free market. So I applaud anybody who says, you know, I'm going to put my, my money where my mouth is, I'm going to work hard at this thing. I'm trying to, I'm going to try and create my own entrepreneurial opportunity for myself, go do it. I mean, that's what, that's what our system is about. Um. So the other reason though, well, in addition, let's say is, uh, is the fact that challengers to the NFL in the past have been very successful. Um, I mean the AFL, um, you know, this, this was so successful that it it just became part of the NFL. Um, the USFL, uh, this went on for several seasons was, was, very successful in several markets. I remember going to games with a kid myself with Philly where uh, the vet was, was sold out from the Philadelphia stars. And, um, and if, it, if it wasn't for, uh, well, I, let's, let's say, I'd say most people would, would say that if it wasn't for our current president, uh, that the USFL would have continued for, for a number of seasons more. As you remember, he was an owner of one of the teams in that league at the time. Anyway. So, the point is that people have been successful in challenging the NFL in the past, or yeah, challenging may be a strong word, they've been successful in creating viable businesses for themselves. So why not try again?
1: Yeah. Growing the pie. Right. And, um, yeah, and I, look, I also think the single entity approach uh, is also, a, 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 and has been proven to be sort of a, a much more prudent way for something fledgling versus sort of assuming, Say in the WFLs uh, to go to the opposite extreme, you know, in the in the mid seventies, right, which was sort of this, um, I don't want to call it House of Cards, but uh, along alongside the ABA and the and World Team Tennis and the World Hockey Association, right, that was all sort of franchise driven, and uh, it was almost like the uh, the last uh, the last owner in, sort of like uh, you know, dealt with the uh, the Ponzi effects at the end. But, you know, again, this case here, we've got two major entities, to your point. Um, you think that uh, they, they knew something or they had some at least some some sound economics to this. All right. So on economics, let, let's uh, before we get into the the tale of the league itself, let's talk about your economics, because uh, walk us through sort of as you've done this story. It's in gear. Um, you know, you, you, you know, they're on to something. Walk us through sort of. Um, Shall we say the compensation arrangement for uh for that little assignment and then and also how you were able to cajole uh an author uh, or a book publisher excuse me to uh allow you to kind of take the the long view and um uh start the research and the uh, investigation for a book that ultimately would become its epitaph, yeah. the, the league's epitaph, but at least was uh was going to be a long assignment to uh to document sort of what's going on in the first year of this league
2: right. Are you are you talking about the the magazine uh, uh, article and the uh, payment for that article? Oh yeah. Oh okay okay yeah. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, there was this magazine called Gear, run by Bob Guccione Jr. and and Bob Guccione Jr. was known. Uh, uh, his reputation was sort of. Um, he was like uh boy, how do you put it? <laughs> he was uh, he he enjoyed uh, a drink and he enjoyed hanging out and uh he, he had led a bit of a jet uh set lifestyle and I mean his his, his father was the publisher and founder of, of Penthouse so um you know uh this was a guy who uh, who knew how to have fun, let's say. And he he was less maybe less uh less good at um at running a business and the thing is that I wasn't getting paid and it wasn't just me. I had done a few articles for them and they owed me, uh, you know, a handful of thousand dollars, which is not much, uh, maybe, but for me at the time it was, boy, you know, I was trying to trying to like make my rent, um, every month, which was a challenge as a freelance writer. So I, I talked to a lot of other writers and, uh, photographers who were contributing to that magazine. And I, and I heard that it was basically, this is the common tale that he wasn't, Look, he was starting a new business, and it was a new magazine and all that. So, um, yeah, that's obviously a big challenge. But he well, wasn't... He also started Spin. Really. Didn't he also
1: start Spin as exactly. well? Yeah, okay. He started Spin, and, and he had
2: actually been uh, been sort of forced to uh, to sell it. Um, there were some allegations that he had sort of... Uh, yeah, I don't want to get too far into it. I'm no expert in it. This is a legal issue, but he apparently there were some harassment issues. and he So he went from uh, unloading Spin to starting Gear... And now he, he wasn't paying anybody. And, um, um, I just said, boy, um, I don't feel like working for someone like this. Uh, why would I continue to put my time and effort into something without getting paid? I mean, Hey, it's a reasonable, (laughs) reasonable conclusion, right? So I just said, I, I, I basically wrote off the relationship and I said, well, at least, at least let's have fun with this on the way out the door. So I, um, I called up uh, a guy that I would met at the New York Observer uh, newspaper and I mentioned this to him and I said, I'm going to do a little, I'm going to run a little operation here and are you interested in if it goes well in uh, in writing about it? He said, oh yeah, that sounds great. So I went to the gear offices in, in New York and Manhattan and uh, one morning and, and um, you know, I asked the receptionist if I could speak to the finance manager and then you know, I identified myself, you, you know, you have a debt with me and um, and, of course, they said the same thing they'd said to me for the past year or so, which was basically, uh, you know, she's out today. So I went back into the the building hallway where I had, I had previously erected a, a large uh, three-man uh, tent. And uh, I, I picked up the tent, and um, and I, I walked it into the gear offices right past the receptionist who was yelling and screaming, and you can't come in here. And um, and I popped it down right in front of the door to Bob Lucioni Jr.'s office and he was sitting behind his desk smoking and talking on the phone or something. And, uh, there was a big ruckus and commotion and people running over saying, who are you? You can't be here. Uh, imagine doing that now in this climate today, probably wouldn't happen. Um, but, uh, so I, I set it down and I saw Guccione look up from his call and, and he was perplexed and he jumped up from his chair and ran over to where I was. And, uh, I had already taken off uh, a, a sweater and underneath I had, a t-shirt that said, you know, you owe me. And it had the, to- the total on it. So um, he wanted to know who I was. And he said, he got very, uh, very upset. And he said he was going to call the cops. And I said, you know, go ahead and call them, man. I already called the New York Observer. At that, uh, he uh, he shut up and he went back into his office. And I just slipped inside the tent and zippered it shut and uh, picked up my book that I'd brought and start reading. And, uh, I could see through the, the, the fly, well, the, uh, the tent there, that the, uh, the women in the photography department were sort of chuckling to themselves and pointing at me and everything. And so I was there basically a couple hours and, um, the, the finance director, this, this guy came over and, and uh, sort of came over and meekly knocked on the tent and, and I said, okay, I unzipped and let him in and he came, sat, sat down Indian style next to me. And, um, he said, you know, boy, we really w- wish you had, hadn't done it this way. And I said, well, wow, I have been waiting a year for this check. So anyway, they ultimately paid me. Um, and, uh, and that was the last contact I had with, with gear.
1: Oh, that's, that's um, hard, yeah, hard yeah. to believe you wouldn't have further contact, but uh, a ballsy <laughs> uh, move. But you know what, I, I, you know, I, I, having been a journalist in a previous life myself and, um, and, you know, sort of the, uh, the vicissitudes, especially now in the world of journalism, where I think it's far worse and more um, more uh, uh, uncertain than ever before, given all kinds of different yeah. reasons. Right. Uh, that's you know, that uh, I think that well, but the, ironically, though, I think it sets a tone, I think, maybe for sort of the, the craziness of this league that you ultimately would wind up covering in book form. So did this happen yeah. before, during or after the uh, the publishing contract for for the book on this?
2: Oh well, you know, it it may actually uh, the answer to that may inform uh, my motivation for doing for pulling that stunt in the first place because I was I was already uh, in, deep in the in the midst of writing the dark, thing. so you know writing writing a book makes would make anybody crazy, and uh, certainly did make me crazy. So, um, but I think you know, I think what you're really asking about is how this thing became a book, and um, you know I go back to that plane ride uh, from Vegas to New York. I hadn't even uh, begun to write the magazine article, but I started thinking that this thing could be a book. So it was right around the time that I filed the magazine article that I, uh, I contacted a few agents, uh, literary agents. And I found one who really liked the idea. And, um, and he helped me find a publisher and and an editor at that publishing house who, who also really liked the idea. So, um, I didn't think it was going to go anywhere and, and miraculously it did. And, uh, so I found a really good editor at, uh, at crown and, uh, and we started conceiving it and that's when I decided that the, the way I wanted to cover this league, because it had, the first game had just, had just kicked off, uh, was to follow around one team, not to tell like a a season in, in, in uh, in, in a team's life, but just to, to, to focus Focus the larger narrative on something specific. Um, so, I, I again, I, I couldn't think of a better city than Vegas and uh, just thought it would be a fun opportunity to, uh, to locate myself there. So, I got on a plane, went, flew back to Vegas and, and lived there for about six months and uh, uh, shadowed that team around.
1: All right, time for me to catch my breath, get a cool, tasty beverage, and uh, remind you while we do so that uh, our friends at Audible uh, are here to uh, remind you that uh, you can get a free audiobook download uh, of your choice from over 180,000 titles uh, if you go to audibletrial.com/goodseats and uh, use that link, of course, to uh, try for yourself a free audiobook on us, uh, gratis, if you will. And you will love the idea of audiobooks. It's uh, it's an awesome way to kill time, uh, and uh, occupy and stimulate your mind. Uh, perhaps when your eyes are busy uh, doing uh, something else. And of course, there are plenty of uh, interesting books to be found, especially in the world of sports and sports history. And I think our audience might enjoy a few of these, of course, including. Uh, the seminal work by uh, baseball uh, legend Jim Bouton. It's called Ball Four. It is uh, not only written, but it's also narrated by him. You could use your free credit for that book. And, of course, as you know, Ball Four uh, centers around the 1969 uh, one-year wonder. That is, the uh, yeah, there was, the Seattle Pilots of Major League Baseball. But, obviously, the, uh, the background for a whole lot of other observations about the sport of baseball. And it remains, to this day, uh, perhaps... Uh, one of the most celebrated writings about the sport of baseball uh, in this country. Of course, you can also, if you're not a big baseball fan, you can go into the world of soccer uh, with uh, the autobiography called My Turn by Johan Cruyff, the uh, uh, late Johan Cruyff, uh, perhaps one of the world's best ever uh, soccer players. Uh, he of Dutch heritage, of course, uh, plenty of uh, a great legendary years at club play as well as national team play. Uh, For the Dutch team, as well as for our audience, maybe a little bit of interest, uh, his journeys in the North American Soccer League in the late 70s and early 80s with the uh, Washington Diplomats uh, and the uh, Los Angeles Aztecs. And of course, if you're into football, uh, there's probably no better book, especially if you find yourself uh, really interested in the sort of deep and rich history of the NFL with uh, the book called NFL Football, a History of America's New National Pastime. It is written by Richard Cropot and narrated by Marlon May. That, too. Uh, is uh, an audiobook that you could choose from over, like I said, uh, 180,000 titles. Uh, there's got to be something in there that's going to be of interest to you. And by all means, give it a try. And we appreciate you doing so at audibletrial.com slash goodseats. And again, you're going to get your free uh, audiobook download. You can cancel it any time. And again, even if you cancel it, you can keep that book as long as your device exists. So again, we appreciate it. Give it a try. audibletrial.com slash goodseats. And now... Back to our conversation. All right. Well, so walk us through some of the uh, the major uh, uh, vignettes or points that you you frame the narrative around. Um, you said that. Uh, so, were you there for the first game then, or this was after the first no, game? No. You know. There?
2: No. This. You know. The. the uh Boy, the, uh, the the process of, of pitching and 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 selling the uh the book proposal and getting the book comp- contracted together it kind of mirrored the uh the slapdash uh, and and uh, the nature of the uh, the, uh, the preparation for the league itself i mean they they only had one year to put this thing together i mean this this was their own timeline that they enforced on themselves foolishly uh and i think it really showed in the final product um and so there wasn't there wasn't much time there wasn't much preparation i didn't i didn't have a lot of time either so i uh i believe i i if i remember correctly i showed up in vegas in week two of the season so i missed the first game which as as you remember the first televised game was actually from vegas against the i think it was the new york and new jersey team um so i showed up in the in the uh the second game and just started going to practices there and started trying to, trying to meet the guys and the coaches and, uh, and also see, I was fielding, um, uh, letters from, uh, from Vince McMahon's office threatening that they're going to shut down my book and all this stuff. So, so it was, it was just, you know, I, I jumped out the plane and, and the, uh, the parachute came out, and I just landed wherever wherever I could.
1: All right. So, what were you thinking as you were on the plane going there? Right, because you had seen like the rest of the nation uh, the the first game on NBC and a few of the other ones on the other networks. Um, what was your what was your sort of predisposed impression uh, about what you were going to uh, see or encounter once you sort of hit the ground in Las Vegas uh, in the midst of week? Hmm. Two?
2: Yeah. Well, kind of like. Uh, You, uh, you're going to it, you're going on a date and, and on the way there, you, you kind of, kind of feel like you don't really want to (laughs) go, but you've already committed (laughs) and you don't, you know, you, you have manners and you don't want to be impolite to her. Uh, because I saw, I saw what everybody else saw. Well, I, I saw, I don't know what everybody else saw. Let me put it that way. What I saw was, um, minor league football. And, uh that's okay. Nothing wrong with a minor league sport, but the problem was that, uh, Ebersole and this McMahon put the darn thing on primetime network TV. And I just felt like, uh Oh, there's something, something's going to go wrong here.
1: That was your thinking when you were sitting there watching that game on television, no, the, uh, the, the, uh, not the the you yeah. know the 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 yeah because you know we had you had McMahon there sort of you know kind of bombastically and you had uh, it almost became it was interesting because there was there was clearly some moments of like pomp and pageantry and and, and interest right but there were also some I don't know I'll, I'll put words in your mouth embarrassment chills I guess for some of the little antics that were going on on the set
2: yeah 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 you know I, 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 like I said earlier I'm not a, a pro wrestling fanatic. Uh, so those, those things didn't really interest me, and, and I, I found them to be sort of awkward and poorly done. Um, and but that wasn't that wasn't really what I saw as the biggest problem. Um, and I mean, look, just as a further background. So I grew up in a sports household. My father was a sportscaster. And he had worked for local stations in various cities in the U S. And then he ultimately worked for ESPN and he was a reporter like a, a field reporter out in the field for sports center for a number of years. And growing up, I carried gear on his crews. So, you know, I was, I was in this whole sports TV thing as, from the time I was a kid and I was a big sports fan. I grew up playing sports. Um, and I, you know, I felt like I wasn't just uh, a regular old fan, even though I was that also, I, I I felt like maybe I had, I don't know. I don't want to boast here, but I felt like maybe I had just a touch more acumen when it came to this issue than, than others, man. And what I saw there was, Oh boy, because you can, you can lather it up with all kinds of pro wrestling style, um, vignettes and, and, and made for TV moments, um, that, and, and if those, who, if those go terribly wrong and it's and very awkward, if you have a good fundamental product, it doesn't matter. And what I saw was that the product they were selling, which was not the vignettes the product was the football that, that the product they were selling just, just wasn't, it didn't match the level of a primetime telecast. That's what I saw in that first game. And and I, when I was on that plane going to Vegas, I said, oh boy, okay, so I just signed this book contract. It's my first ever book contract. And man, did I make a terrible mistake here.
1: Well, th- but but that said, was there, at what point, either on that plane ride or, or, or during the I don't know, the, the ongoing story that unfolded in front of you, did you just say, wait a minute, this 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 could be a potential disaster, and and I might have a front row seat in this, and actually be more interesting uh, as a book.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, somewhere toward the end, but but it's hard to have that perspective, um, because uh, uh, I think in this instance, primarily because there was this um, wide, soft underbelly of the league's experience, where it was just, it was just sort of pathetic. You know, it was it was like the whole middle of the season felt like to me that uh, it wasn't a big train wreck. It was just kind of it was just kind of boring, and that's the worst. So it was hard for me as um, as someone who was just kind of like starting out as, and trying to figure out how to how to tell longer stories. It was hard for me to see how how I could recover this thing.
1: All right. Well, so you get there, you you have the intestinal fortitude to show up, and and so what what in your mind was sort of your path for the narrative and the story, or did you kind of want to let sort of things settle? What was sort of your, I guess at the at the time, sort of your blueprint or your uh, your starting point to kind of gather enough of uh, of what was going on with this team and the league to kind of get into a narrative or were you, was it largely an exercise in this is more of a process question. Was it more largely an exercise of just getting to as many people, uh, and, uh, events surrounding it at the time and then sort of let the story kind of maybe uh, present itself to you.
2: Well, the story was ongoing and and, and no one knew what it ultimately was going to be. Certainly. I didn't know. Um, so it was just a matter, like you said, of, of trying to talk to as many people as you could. And, uh, I had, I felt like I, I, what I was trying to do initially was to tell, tell the larger story of the league. That was, that was the, the, A story and the B story was to find a guy or two on the Las Vegas team, uh, who could be emblematic in some way. Um, or, or, or just who had a cool story and an interesting yarn. Um, uh, cause there, there were a lot of interesting guys in that league. These were, these were the hodgepodge of guys who, um, who had had a cup of coffee in the NFL and were trying to get back and they, or maybe they were a bit older, maybe they'd been injured. Uh, and then there were just, there were young guys who had uh, come out of division, division uh, two or three football, uh, for example, and, and had gotten passed over and, and saw this as, as their way, uh, their, their audition tape for the NFL. So, yeah, there were a lot of interesting, interesting people in that league. Um, so for me, just looking at it as a, you know canvas um you know it was like um trying to try trying to talk to, trying to find that story or those personal stories on the Vegas team uh, by getting to know some of these guys but also just just keeping keeping a, a watchful eye on on all events xfl more broadly um because yeah like i say when you when you're in the middle of something like that you don't know you don't know what the story is Uh, because it hasn't told itself yet. It hasn't happened yet. It it is in the midst of happening. So you just got to keep your antenna up and and follow your instinct that if you feel like you see something developing that could be interesting, you hop on a plane and you go and try and talk to that person.
1: Well, okay, so let's talk about one of the signature ones, right? Uh, In many respects, you kind of uh, uh, stumbled into uh, uh, one of those players, perhaps the most, uh, I guess, even still to this day, most memorable names and players and stories uh, in the uh, in the in the form of Rod Smart, they are playing for uh, for the uh, the Outlaws. How did how did that part of the conversation and that part of the narrative come into your uh, into your purview? And how did you kind of know to center on him a bit? Maybe that first game had uh, something to do with it.
2: Yeah, no, it was it was it wasn't even up to me. It was just so obvious that this guy was the guy. Um, yeah, like you said, I just totally completely got lucky that he happened to be playing for Vegas, and that was the city I chose. So just, just for people who don't remember, Rob Smart was a running back uh, for, for the Vegas Outlaws. And one of the interesting things, which the, the league, it was one of their so-called innovations, um, w- one of the things that they allowed players to do was instead of putting their last name on the back of the jersey, they could, they could put basically anything they wanted as long as it was approved by, uh, by the league, you know, the, the league didn't want anything, uh, uh, any obscenities or anything like that on the back of the jersey. So, um, so anyway, Ron was the guy who came out in the first game in the back of his jersey and said, he hate me. And, um, that just, boy, that fascinated everybody. Cause they wondered, you know, what, what the heck did that mean? And who is this guy? And like you said, he, I got lucky and he was just the guy, the running back on the, the outlaws. And so I knew. I got to focus on this guy. I got to get to know this guy. And, um, I did get to know him and he was, a, he was a very interesting, uh, friendly guy. Um, he, uh, well, I spent, I spent a lot of time in, in Rod's apartment in Vegas and it was hard to, it was hard to find time with him because he was, um, well, let me just say he was, the ladies in Vegas, found him very attractive. And he uh, he had this um, he had this little bit of fame, you know, which was very cool to see him enjoying it. Um, he he was generally uh, in good spirits all the time, um, and I just wanted to spend as much time with him as I could. So I I was I, I would try and make plans with him by phone. He was very elusive. I don't think um, in in a bad way. I just think he was busy with football, and he was a young guy and trying to. He had friends in town and he was enjoying himself when he was going out to the nightclubs in Vegas. I mean, this is Las Vegas, after all. And here he he was in the national spotlight to some degree. So um, when I did find time with him, I I found him to be very open and, like I said, very friendly. And he told me an interesting story about how he came up with this nickname, which he he subsequently altered what he told almost everybody else. Uh, so I felt like the, the true story of it never really got out. I did include it in the, in the book, but it was, it, it really was, uh, it came down to tryouts for the team and he was on the bubble. He'd gone to Western Kentucky, which if you remember, that's where uh, Jim Harbaugh's dad coached for, for many years, Jack Harbaugh. Uh, in fact, Jim Harbaugh's first job was, was uh, as like a recruiting for recruiting hands at Western Kentucky, um, so it was known as a good program. But um, anyway, Roger was not a highly sought after guy. That's why he ended up in the XFL in the first place. And on one of the final days of training camp, he was on the bubble, and he heard word that the coaches were going to cut him for the Outlaws, and that it, it just came into his mind this phrase like. He hated me. He meaning the coach. And it took uh, a a a play in the last scrimmage uh to keep him on the team. He uh he re- he returned a punt or had a long run like you know, eighty, eighty, ninety yards for a touchdown. The coaches decided, oh, we gotta keep this guy. Um but it was it was great hanging out with Rod, getting to know him. I also uh he's from Lakeland, Florida. And uh I when when the, when the outlaws played down in Florida, I went, I went to his hometown and I met with his mother. I spent an afternoon with her and boy, was that a, was that an interesting story? She had a, um, an anklet, like a bracelet from, um, uh, the local authorities. She was on some sort of probation. There was some, so there's some convictions for, uh, for uh, drug trafficking in her past. And, you know, it was a, but she was very, very proud of Rod and and uh anyway yeah, I spent a nice afternoon with her. She was very, very uh, welcoming and a nice lady. Um and it was great to see Rod go on. Rod went on and played in the Super Bowl for the Carolina Panthers. You know, he had a he had a four three, four, five year uh, career in the NFL. So, um, you know, the X F L did uh, did very well by him. Yeah, so I, I think he did very well by the X F L rather.
1: Yeah, no, I think, and I think uh, actually uh, uh, some of the NFL uh, folks would even admit that, uh, you know, his uh, popularity or at least the naming uh, sort of got their attention, at least to, quote unquote, give him a look, right? And so uh, yeah. almost, again, the triumph, I guess, of uh, promotion uh, over maybe necessarily the quality or maybe at the very least it's a, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tiebreaker uh, when, uh, you know, there's a lot of mediocrity and uh, something becomes memorable and it gives him a shot. And uh, he certainly made... Uh, made that made that uh, happen for him but so what about the rest of the team then um and and you know uh, putting smart sort of in the middle i guess of that story i mean through the eyes of las, the las vegas outlaws i mean were they a typical team in this uh, in this crazy you know eight team circuit uh, were they an outlier uh, what were you seeing in the league through their eyes and the way that they uh, played and or went through the franchise cuz they were probably about average, I guess, in terms of attendance, although, you know, I would argue Las Vegas, uh, not really sort of the preeminent professional sports towns so is probably an element of uh, of curiosity and or whatever from that. Um, but you know, what were you seeing sort of through the eyes of, of the Vegas franchise, either uniquely or uh, endemically uh, relative to the, uh, the rest of the league?
2: Yeah, boy, you know, again... It- for me, the the story with the with the Vegas Outlaws really came down to the personal stories. Um, I, I didn't see these guys as being touched in any way by these larger issues that we've t- that we that we've talked about about the, the network's economic pressures. None of that, and that's not surprising. Um, they weren't they weren't touched by any of Vince McMahon's bluster or the fact that they wanted to do these crazy vignettes all the time on the sidelines. None of that stuff mattered to these guys and none of it affected them. These were guys who, um, who'd been playing football all their lives and their dream was to be in the NFL. And some of them had been there and were trying to get back. Some of them had been overlooked and were trying to get there for the first time. And, and that's all it was. They saw they saw the XFL as, as an opportunity to get paid to play football and continue. Uh, continue their careers. And yeah, every one of these guys had an interesting story. If if you're a sports person, if you're a football person, um, you yeah, know, I remember this guy who was a defensive lineman, Kelvin Kinney, one of these just enormous people, great athletes. Uh, Kelvin had played in the NFL for a few years and had, uh, he his, he was an edge rusher, a sacker and uh, had sacked a couple big NFL quarterbacks, but he, He had all these injuries and his, he was a bit of a hard luck story. Another guy, Ryan Clement, who was the starting quarterback. He had been, uh, the starting quarterback of Miami and remember that amazing string of quarterbacks, the hurricanes produced. Well, Ryan came right at the wrong time when the, when the program was going downhill, he was supposed to be the next, next big thing, um, And it didn't work out for him in Miami. So, uh, not long after he, he left Miami, he was, uh, he found himself uh, bouncing at a bar and he was drinking all the time. And, you know, he had, he had to get himself back together to even get to the outlaw. So, um, these stories were, were sort of sad in a way. Um, but, but seeing the, the fact that the XFL existed allowed these guys to, uh, to to put things together for one, one more shot. So, you know, again, the, we can talk all we want about Vince McMahon and and business and broadcasting and all that. But, uh, but the people who are actually in this league are just regular, regular folks trying to achieve something uh, personally. So um, definitely there were some interesting guys in that team
1: well and a bunch you know uh that team but i, I suspect uh, broadly the uh, the the XFL generally whereas uh, they, they found uh you know some more attention and some some future gigs out of this despite the uh, the demise of the league i mean you you mentioned a couple of uh, you mentioned the super bowl i mean there was uh i guess uh, kelly herndon uh, the cornerback uh, was uh with the uh, the Seahawks in in super bowl 40 uh you had uh uh, is it Mark Grebe or Grive Grebe? Uh He was the quarterback who actually took over for Ryan Clement when he was injured, and then he wound up going to the uh, Arena Football League, which is also a, a really a, a rich uh, tableau of players looking for a continuation of their careers and or another shot. Uh, and he wound up to Well, there were a couple two wide bowls. receivers on that
2: team, too. Oh, there yeah. were a couple of wide receivers on that team. Sorry to interrupt you, but no, please. there was a guy, uh, Mike Furry, who uh, I think had played in Division Two, II, Three. Um, he, he had gone to Ohio state, but really didn't see the field transfer. He was a smaller, uh, wide receiver guy. And, uh, he played, he was young. He was just out of college and, and played for the outlaws. And he went on to have quite a, quite a good NFL career. Um, I think one year he had almost a hundred receptions. I'm trying to, he played for the Rams. He, um, he played for the lions and he, he, he played, he had a, a quite a distinction. Uh, but he played both sides of the ball in the NFL he played wide receiver and defensive back and starting at both positions. So very impressive. There was also another wide receiver, if I'm not mistaken, a guy named Yo Murphy, who I think also played the Super Bowl. Um, so, you know, that's just off one team. And uh, so th- these were all guys on the bubble. And, and, and like you said, pertaining to Rod Smart, sometimes if you're, if you're a bubble guy, it, it's, you got to get noticed somehow um you just need that one shot and that one chance and uh and the XFL uh gave that to some of these guys
1: well so so most of the nation saw you know e- either in the uh, uh not so gracious headlines uh and the uh and the weekly sort of decline i guess of the uh, of the product on television and, and all the various uh, shenanigans that came with it what were you seeing on the ground with these players and sort of the week by week kind of you know getting through the getting through the uh the week and practice and, and the games and stuff did you did you notice uh, any uh besides sort of that that zeal to play um did you get any sort of broader sense of either uh excitement encouragement um you know were they pushing those distractions of the the circus tent component of all this league away and just trying to focus on the game or you know did you notice any sort of uh change perhaps in in all of the the team the players the the coaches the 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 ownership or the the stadium personnel whomever about sort of um uh, maybe this uh i guess it seemed to be a, from an outsider's perspective a, a slide i guess into uh just abject craziness uh, by the end of all of it
2: right right yeah i think anybody who's played on a team um and has had, and has taken it seriously uh would would understand that that uh, the path of the players on this team is really you no know, different from uh from what what we may have experienced even like say on a youth level just it's just more pressure and a uh, little bit more desperation given the fact that these guys are trying to make a living at this thing. I think that um you know when I said earlier that this high level and these larger issues didn't really affect these guys. The one thing that did affect them as the season wore on, and, then, and, and they, like everybody else, were reading um, about the ratings going down, uh, the one thing that did affect them was the prospect of a second season. Is this thing going to last? Because NBC had signed on for, I believe, three years of this thing, um, and there were whispers like this thing is performing so poorly in the ratings that NBC might just opt out. And, uh, for these guys, that meant a lot. Like, are are we going to have a job next year? Um, I think most of the guys enjoyed it. They enjoyed playing in the XFL. It was, what's the alternative. It's not like there's a minor league. It's it's not like there's a triple a double a ball, like in, like in baseball. Um, there's the NFL. Yes, there's the CFL. But in the United States, at least, um, you, know, you had the Arena League. In terms of how the how the players are treated, how they're paid, the, it just just the level of everything was was pretty high. Um, and I think these guys enjoyed it. By and large, they enjoyed playing there, and, and they were eager to to uh, for for a second season. So when it began to seem like it was possible that there wouldn't be a second season, that and I think there was. Um, you know, general, I don't want to say despair, but, you know, guys, guys weren't happy about that prospect.
1: What did you, uh, maybe just a, a quick sort of, uh, catalog of some of the more, uh, eye opening things, uh, either happy and amazing or, or just downright depressing and or sorted, uh, that you saw in your travels. I suspect that you were in the stadium for a couple of games that you were on the road occasionally with the team. You were kind of saw some of the players and the, um, coaches and the organization kind of sort of in their downtime um any things that kind of stand out in in, in that uh uh in that day to day uh that um you know maybe reminded you that uh, perhaps this is going to wind up being a pretty darn good story in the book form
2: well you know look you got to remember this is this is quite a number of years ago now so it's hard to remember all of those uh poignant details, and I think whatever whatever there may have been, they're probably in the book there. But uh, not not to uh, discount your question, um, I think there's there, there's some things that come to mind. For example, Ryan Clements, the quarterback. I, I really uh, I really liked Ryan. I thought he was uh, a good a good guy trying to achieve his dream, and it just seemed to be slipping away from him again. And that was you know, that was painful to watch. And he also had um, a girlfriend or fiance who was, uh, who was very invested in his, his future and his success. And I saw some friction there. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a little hard, it was a little hard to, to, to watch that because I, you mean, you're a journalist, of course, you're a reporter, uh, you, you have to, you're not supposed to be part of the story, of course, but you're still a human being. And, and these people are nice enough, uh, kind enough to, to share their time and their stories with you. And, um, um, you you want the part of you wants to see them do well, even, even if, if you can separate that part from the journalist who has to ultimately write about the thing in a candid way. Uh, so it was hard sometimes to see some of these guys go through this. um, so yeah, I mean that's you, you probably you probably find similar stories in the NFL, guys who get injured, guys who get cut, um, but at least they they've already achieved a dream of some sort just by being there. And the XFL was uh, you know one one step removed from even that, so it made the some of the tougher stories a little bit harder to take.
1: Right, so by the time the million dollar game comes around, and the, and the, the Outlaws didn't even make the playoffs in an eight team uh, league, which obviously tells you <laughs> quite a bit. Right. Um, right. Wh- what was your, your and your editors uh, thinking about what uh, this story was about, and or um, you know what you uh, how this book sort of was going to was kind of look because because I, I, I think to just to this is about every outsider right that million dollar game was kind of like almost like a relief to kind of get it out of the system Got to follow through with it. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I don't yep. think anybody really legitimately thought that there was going to be much more of this after that game. Uh, where were you yeah. in the process of of the writing the book and or the narrative and the story and wh- where were you thinking that, uh, and, and, and how do you think this, this book was going yeah. to come out and, and what kind of story you were going to kind of reveal?
2: Yeah. Well, there were a couple of things that happened right toward the end of the season that, uh, that maybe guided me towards some conclusion. One of them was the fact that Rob smart, he hate me. The, 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 the outlaws lost their last handful of games. They were still in contention and they just went on a bit of a losing streak to close out the season. And I, I, I believe it's my memory. Sure. The last game they were in it towards the end of the game. And Rob smart was carrying the ball. This was in Vegas, the San Boyd stadium, and he was going in for a touchdown and he fumbled it through the end zone for a touchback, effectively. Uh, looting the game for the team and I think that was his last carry in the NFL and that was fitting in some way I don't know I don't know what it fit it was interesting that here's Rob the sort of face of the league and and the biggest franchise uh ending ending the season more or less for for the guy uh and the other thing was at um at LA Coliseum which was where the million dollar game. It's so funny. What, what, what a silly name for a championship game. Uh, that's where it was played. And so I had a press pass and I was down on the field roaming around when I saw, oh my goodness, there's Dick Ebersole and there, there's Vince McMahon. And they were standing next to one another on the sidelines, observing their creation and i uh, they didn't i'd never met either of them. they didn't know what i looked like and and uh, so it was easy for me to just sort of sidle up and eavesdrop a little bit and yeah they they weren't they weren't saying much they were just sort of um it was just a, a, a like a tableau like an image you know um and so i got on the plane i tacked up in vegas went back to new york where i was living and sat down and took out my notes and everything and i said oh my goodness what the heck am i gonna think of this and I was pretty discouraged. Um because as I said, most of the most of the games and most of the seasons I thought were one just kinda of boring. And um it was it was minor league football. And uh look I'm I'm a huge college football fan and that's minor league football, right? I mean it, it is the highest level for that age group. Um but it's it's a, the level below the NFL, um, so there is, there's there's something different, I guess, about college football—the the history and the pageantry and all that, the coaching, the stadium. You know, the, it's a different package than the XFL, of course, in so many ways. Um, so I sat down and I said, "What am I going to do?" So I met up with my uh, editor uh, Pete Fornatel at Crown, and Pete really believed in this from the beginning. Pete had also, he was a bit of a pro wrestling guy too, so he he really brought a lot to the project uh, in that sense, uh, a lot of knowledge and understanding. And and he really wanted this thing to work. Now, he told me later, he told me later, that toward the end of the season or right after the season, that his boss came to him and said, I think we've got to kill this book. Um, because they didn't think they could sell it. And uh they, they saw what was going on, they saw that there were no ratings for this thing, that people just weren't interested in people. And uh and Pete said that he, he pushed back and they 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 talked about it for a while. They said, like, look, let's just let we'll kill this book and we'll find another book for Endor. And then and, and Pete basically said oh, look, he he'd be really upset, he'd be devastated, he put all this work in, he moved out to Vegas, still. So uh, that pushback back, uh, saved the book, but now I had to write it. And so we just, we had many, many, many discussions about how this thing was going to go, and then I just had to begin.
1: You know, and the timing of it, though, came out in what, 2003, right? A year and a half after the league? No. Is that right? No, no, it came, it came out the next year. The next year, 2002, okay. Yep. Yeah. And um and it still sits in my I should have seen that's right on the page three here as I open it up. Um mm-hmm. so uh the um the aftermath though, so you know, this is it's, it's, interestingly, this is still really the only major treatise, I guess, on on this league. And now I wonder, um, you know, given uh that being some sort of the seminal uh sort of writing about this league. Uh, given that the league is coming back, and albeit in a different form next year, um, you wonder why or when perhaps uh, it might be appropriate to uh, reissue and pretend, potentially uh, put some new framing around some of uh, some of your original writing, perhaps through the lens of the last uh, almost twenty years, and almost as a, as a table set for uh, what the new version of this XFL will wind up becoming. Any any interest in that, or or is that sort of way in the past in your, uh, your rearview mirror? Because, or, or, you know, I, I suspect that there's going to be some general interest and recollection and perhaps some, uh, shall we say, revisionist history uh, as the new one gets going. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, listen, I, I think you're, some of the words you're using are a bit lofty for this, this silly little book I wrote many years ago, Treatise. I mean, listen, you're being very respectful, and, and I appreciate that, that, and thank you. But this is a book that that I wrote when I was, uh, when I was younger and and more or less just starting out, and I, I didn't know how to write a book. Uh, I mean, who does before you actually do it? Nobody does. Uh, and I you know just just learned along the way and um, i'm I'm proud it, that it, it came out and that my editor and, uh, editor and I uh, worked it up to the point where we could publish it. Um, and i'm I'm happy for the experience. But I'll tell you what I'd rather I'd rather buy up all of the copies and put them in the basement and go sell XFL t-shirts on the corner to make money instead.
1: <laughs> Spoken like a true writer who's always uh, you know uh, <laughs> doubting uh, uh, the quality and their approach and all that. Look, I think uh, you know, I, and obviously I'm I'm a huge uh, dare I say a geek for teams and leagues. No longer with us, right? So the whole reason I'm yeah. doing this uh, equally if not more silly little endeavor. Podcast, right? Um, but uh, it's—I'm uh, just thinking about it from a marketing perspective. I think about it from uh-huh. uh, all the hype that's to come, the desire, probably to sort of distance or, or at least reframe what this new league is going to be about. And look, it, we've all moved on, right? And perhaps uh, in your career, and you're you're actually doing much more, uh, uh, shall we say, a serious work with your uh, your efforts with the Wall Street Journal and covering the defense and security spaces and, and other things the um the story of the XFL is going to come back right? We had a very interesting conversation a couple of uh months ago with uh as you probably know Jeff Perlman you know who you know uh, was a uh a childhood fanatic of the uh the old USFL and uh you know the irony of of our current president and his role in that league almost as a a microcosm in his perspective of how you know, he sort of approaches uh, management generally and his approach to running the country, um, you know, it, it just shows that, uh, you know, these uh, these stories uh, and these uh, the effect uh, that they've had on, on, in this case, professional football going forward. You mentioned it earlier in the conversation. Um, I don't know. Hey, I'm not telling you what to do, but I, it just seems to me that somebody, <laughs> and uh, guess who's got some authority in having done so even in his earliest of uh, professional years,
2: uh yeah. if, it, if yeah. anybody's got control, No, hey, you make you make a lot of Tim, you make, Tim, you make a lot of sense. Um and uh I don't I certainly don't mean to belittle the thought at all. Um and uh look writing a book is uh a, a life experience. You know, it, it takes a long time. There 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 are many moments when you're you're at the at the end of your rope and you're just despairing and you're thinking, Why the heck did I choose to do this? Um, so any book, no matter how good it is for the person who wrote it, it has some meaning and, and there are a lot of memories wrapped up in it you know, and it's part of your life um but um but i i i just when I look at that book, I just think that book is in i call it an apprentice work, you know it was something that that taught me a lot just by just in the doing of it um and i i wouldn't well I wouldn't necessarily say. It's, it's reflective of of work that I subsequently did where I felt like I was more in control and knew a little bit more about the process. I still look, it's still very difficult to write for me all the time. And I, and I, and I dread it all the time, but it's, I'm drawn to it. And it's part of me, but, but the, um, yeah, I I, look, we haven't really even talked about the fact that Vince McMahon is going to, uh, reboot the XFL, I guess what, next year. Um, yeah. So I think definitely there's going to be a lot of media attention on um, that event and there's going to be um, there's going to be a lot of interest in in digging back into history and saying, OK, well, how does this how is this going to be different from the last one? So what was the last one? What really went on? So, yeah, there nobody really nobody else wrote a book about this. And so I guess, yeah, I mean, you, you definitely have a point.
1: Well, look, I, uh, I and I'm hardly on a crusade here, but I will I will I'll stop just short of it. OK, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the book is uh, has been out of print for some time. Uh, obviously, we'll have a link to it and uh, used copies and other uh, places. Uh, it, uh, it has a high value for those used copies. Uh, it's in the hundreds of dollars, oh. believe it or not. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, uh, so my, <laughs> I, my thought is that economically, uh, at least in the economics of the Internet, it seems like there's a market here. Uh, it's the only reason I knew.
2: I mean, I, I have a, a bunch in a, in a box in the closet here. Maybe I can, you know, make a little money.
1: Well, again, you've got. I, I see. I'm looking at Amazon, our partner here for for selling books. I see uh, 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 new versions going for five hundred no. and thirty-two dollars and twenty-six cents. No, no, used. used That's copies. impossible. No, I'm telling you. And the used copy is one hundred and twenty-one bucks. So. There's something Who is to buying
2: these things for that much money?
1: Well, maybe Who after this listen, possibly be maybe after listening to this episode, you're going to get a few more inquiries. So all I'm getting at is that. Uh, so, <laughs> if you call yourself a fan of pro football and you remember the XFL and that uh, the train wreck of a league it wound up becoming on national television, um, and you have not read uh, read Brett's book, uh, you, you got to find your way to a copy. I'm not. Uh, giving away mine. Maybe I'll mail mine to, to Brett and he can sign it for me. That's about it. But uh, I'd be happy to do it. It's a, it, it is a, it is a, it is a fun journey. Uh, I it, I think to your point earlier, it's not exhaustive. It's not sort of a, you know, a blow by blow sort of, you know, a statistical history. This is, this is a, a, a narrative of, of a story of a league uh, in all its craziness. And I would argue there's, there's plenty more to sort of come out of this. And I think, uh, a newer spotlight's gonna be uh, on some of the original version of that as this new xFL despite its des- uh, desire to be distant uh, from the original version. and uh, Brett look i this has been a treat for me uh, because uh, this is a league that i've uh, I, I know our audience has been uh, wanting to get more uh, uh, detailed and, and understood uh some understanding about uh, I suspect there's a lot more stories out there. and for better or for worse, uh yours is the uh. Uh, is the uh, the go to uh, writing about this league, and um, I suspect it won't be the end of uh, the investigation of what came before uh, the new version coming out next year. So I, I appreciate right. your time and thank you for for being part of it.
2: Well, Tim, thank you very much for having me on um, it. I think what you're doing is really interesting, and and uh, and I was glad to, to get an invitation from you, um, and I found your your thoughts and questions very well informed, and. Um, yeah, wish, wish you luck going forward with everything. I will say that I think the best thing about that book is uh, is that it's short.
1: <laughs> I think you're being too hard on yourself. I loved it. Uh, <laughs> that's the reason why I've kept it for almost 20 years. All right, before we run, uh, give me uh, give our audience yeah. a sense of uh, what uh, what are you up to now? What kind of projects are you working oh, on? Oh, yeah. Uh, do you oh, ever sure. fancy yeah. yourself going back in the world of sports, or are you, are you long gone from that into your uh, current uh, work?
2: Oh, I'm not, I hope I'm not long gone from anything. I like to keep an open mind and I'm always looking for a good yarn and good story, wherever it may be. Uh, I, uh, wait. So after that book, just, just real quickly here. So I, um, I, I lived abroad for about a decade. I lived in Russia and Ukraine and Brazil and I became more of a, uh, like an international correspondent, if you will. Um, and still writing for magazines. And then I, Uh, came back to the U S and I hooked on with ESPN and I started writing for their magazine. I worked there for a number of years. And, um, and another book came out of that experience as well. That was a book about, uh, match fixing in global soccer. Uh, it's really a crime story, uh, focusing on uh, Chinese triads and Singaporean match fixers and how they upended the game throughout the entire world and about, um, an Australian guy who was the head of security at FIFA at the time, who was uh, a long time cop who had also been a director at Interpol who was chasing these guys down. So, uh, that was a really interesting story. And uh, a couple of years ago, I left ESPN to take a job at the wall street journal where I write about national security. It sounds very serious and important. Again, I'm just looking for good stories and good, uh, good yarns and, and things that, uh, you know, have real importance and
1: meaning all right well we're going to leave you uh in this conversation and again thank you for it with the uh the notion of uh the continuing yarn of the xfl and um i don't know sleep on it brett i i, I think there's still something there
0: i will i will
1: <laughs> well there you have it that's an interesting conversation don't you think Uh, You know, the XFL is uh, something that uh, continues to intrigue me and I think is only going to get more interesting uh, in the months in the lead up to the uh, relaunch uh, of the XFL uh, this time next year. And uh, look, uh, what's coming up next week is uh, even yet another challenger league, the uh, Alliance of American Football, uh, founded by uh, the son of the uh, one of the co-founders of the original XFL, Uh, Charlie Ebersol, he the uh, son of Dick Ebersol, the uh, one of the main characters in this original XFL story. So uh, some interesting uh, circularness in all of that story. Um, But uh, you will find a link to this book uh, uh, on our website, of course, at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Just search up episode 98. You will see a link uh, to Amazon. And again, I I, I, uh, will tell you uh that because this book is out of print you will uh find this book not to be inexpensive it's uh, it is rather pricey uh some of the um uh used versions are uh, probably approaching 100 and so bucks uh and uh, there are even some new versions out there or new copies uh, brand new copies that is not used that are uh circulating out there or not you know available for four or five hundred bucks but uh, it's a uh, uh, I hate to say it's a collector's item, but it's a great book. I, uh, I have a copy of it. I've kept it for uh, all these years on my bookshelf. Uh, it is, uh, frankly, the only book uh, devoted to the XFL. Some great stories in there. Uh, and um, uh, I, you know, as you heard me uh, uh, bring up to uh, Brett's attention, not only the costs of uh, of the books on the black market, shall we say, but uh, it feels to me and, uh, you know, as a nominal sort of marketing and media guy. Uh, It feels to me that uh, the timing may just be right to uh, not only reissue, but perhaps even uh, reframe the original story of the XFL as the as the new one gets ready to get uh, ready to rumble, uh, so to speak. Perhaps a wish uh, and maybe uh, unrequited at that. But uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's well worth seeking out. It's a great book uh, and uh, it's a a fascinating topic. One that uh, I'm sure I know and I'm certain that we will go deeper into Uh, especially as the new league sort of gets up and running. uh, We will want to delve into what used to be the previous version of the XFL for all its faults. Uh, Some fun and wacky stories and uh, some actually some amazing good things to come out of that league. Uh, yet to uh, to discover. and uh, We look forward to uh, digging in and finding some of those uh, folks and people and stories uh, to share with you about the XFL and a whole bunch of other stuff, for God's sakes. Not just that, uh, but all the things and teams and leagues that uh, we uh, we focus here on this little show each and every week. All right. Uh, before we run, I want to say uh, thank you, of course, to our friends uh, at Podfly Productions. Jerry Payne, the good doctor, always doing his job. Podfly.net That's the place to go to find out more about them and and all their podcasting opportunities uh, that they can help you with. That's podfly.net, Podfly Productions, the name of the company. And uh, let's see, what else? Uh, Please, 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 if there's anything you could do to help our show, we would love you not only to to, uh, partake of our wares from our uh, sponsors, of course, uh, but also uh, rate and review, will you, this show? Uh, wherever you can, it's iTunes or Apple Podcasts or the the you know the the myriad of places now that we're publishing and you can find this show. Wherever you can rate and review, especially if it's a good review, thumbs up, five stars, whatever. Uh, a couple of words of goodness there, we'd appreciate it tremendously. It's the uh, least you can do. Literally, uh, it's the least expensive thing that is no cost to you. Uh, except perhaps for the bandwidth that uh, required to enter a couple of keystrokes, would you please just review the show and uh, let let your friends out there know uh, that you like it? And hopefully that'll find uh, uh, through algorithmic means some other friends that uh, might uh, enjoy the show to download and, and subscribe. And we appreciate that. We also appreciate you uh, following us on social media. You'll find us uh, at Good Seeds Still on Twitter. You'll find us on Instagram at Good Seed Still Available. You'll find a little... Uh, Webpage devoted to us on Facebook. Uh, you can send us email either through uh, our link on seats dot com. Of course, you can go there for all kinds of other stuff too, all of our back episodes. But you want to send us an email directly? We'll go right ahead. It's hello at GoodSeatsStillAvailable dot com. All right. So I think that's all the ways you can connect with us and support us and all that kind of stuff. We thank you for listening. Enjoy the new spring football coming your way from the AAF, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, some more. Uh, cool stuff coming up. Uh, Not only football, but tons of other great stuff in the hopper. Lots of sports, lots of stuff coming your way. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Until then, best wishes.